Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship. To find info on our speaker and series, please check the podcast description. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! All right. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to just lead us in prayer before we start here. So let's, let's pray together. Father, I just thank you so much for this time um, that we can come and gather in your presence. Holy Spirit has been here leading us and guiding us already. And um, just pray that we'd continue to be receptive to all that you have to say to us and uh, in us through your word. And so help us to just come and surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm Tim. I'm the community life pastor here at Sardis Fellowship. And this morning I want to talk about hypocrites. So just (laughs) before we get all nervous and squeamish in our seats, just coming right out of the gate, I'll start by talking about myself, okay? Does that sound okay? All right, we'll start there. We'll start there. Um, So... When I was in high school, um, I would have, maybe you can relate to this, I would have a few different kind of groups of people that I would kind of go around and hang out with. And uh, when I would hang out with this group, I was kind of one way. And then I'd go and hang out with this group, and I was kind of another way. And then I'd go hang out with this group, and I was kind of a different way. And I'd come home, and I was a little bit of a different way. And I would kind of go to all these places and be a different way in front of these different people. And... uh, in hindsight, I can see that I was being a hypocrite. I was being a hypocrite. And the Greek word uh, hypocrite, it's uh, hypocrites. So you can hear it. Sounds like the word hypocrite, right? That's where we get the word. And actually in the ancient Greco-Roman world, um, it often referred to actors. And so in our modern day, we have technology, we can CGI people, we can have amazing makeup and whatnot to turn them into totally different people. But in the Greco-Roman world, when they were doing a play or a drama, often what they would do is they just have different masks for different scenes. And so they'd take this mask and this scene to be a character. They'd often just even have a mask uh, on a stick. Uh, These were kind of some of the masks there. That's where you get the classic uh, drama masks, right? That's where it came from. They'd have a mask on a stick. In this scene, I'm this way. Put it down. Okay, the next scene is coming. I'm this way. And, uh, you know, I'm happy in this scene. I'm sad in that scene. And they would just adapt to whatever the scene is. And so that's actually where the word hypocrite comes from. They were hypocrites. They They were mask wearers. That was kind of where the term comes from. And so when I look back at my high school experience, I think I was a mask wearer. I think I was a hypocrite. So that in this group, I would kind of find out what the social norm was and what would make me acceptable. And then I'd, okay, I'll wear that mask. And then I'd go to this group and then I'll wear that mask. But when the two groups or two friends would kind of come together, I had no clue which mask to wear. Which mask do I put on, right? Worlds are colliding. So I have no idea what's going on. Uh, But I wouldn't know what to do. And I think now as I analyze it, as, as I'm a bit older, I think for me, it was just a a quest to just find acceptance. I just wanted, at the end of the day, to be accepted. Um, And I thought that if I took my mask down and they saw who I really was, that I would be rejected. Um, Maybe this group would reject me or this group would reject me. Um, And so I, I often wore masks. And I think it left me susceptible to things like people pleasing. Uh, and peer pressure, you know, it left me susceptible to those things. And if someone just said, hey, don't, don't give in to peer pressure, it's like, okay, I'll try. But there was a deeper issue. There was a deeper sickness. There was a deeper problem 
that was making me want to give into peer pressure. And some of it was lighthearted, you know, a group of guys, uh, hey, let's all try to eat a tablespoon of cinnamon. You know, it's like, sure, uh, it's a horrible idea. Please don't ever do that because you sneeze it out and then it's all in your sinuses and you're just like up all night with a face that's burning with cinnamon. So just don't do that. So there were like, like silly peer pressure, but then there was like more of the serious stuff that I, I just, thinking of my experience, I just deeply regret, you know, party scene, drugs, alcohol, it just to please people, to fit in and to find belonging. Um, and so that was kind of my high school experience. And eventually it started to feel like this deep sickness. I just wanted to lower the mask to people to see who I was and accept me. But the problem was I didn't even know who I was at that point. So it was this challenge. Um, I felt like in bondage and in slavery to it. Um, so that's kind of me. So now to us. Okay, so it might come as a bit of a surprise that there can even be hypocrites in church. <gasps> Gasp. I know. This is the first time you've ever thought that. Um, yeah, no, we can be hypocritical here. And in fact, I think the church um, can almost be a breeding ground for hypocrisy because we come here and we think that there's maybe a standard to keep and there's a bunch of good people. And if people saw that I'm maybe not that good, then they would reject me and I wouldn't be welcome here. And so I have to put on this mask. And um, I think we can experience that here. And, and as I think about it, um, I think a lot of this stems from our relationship with God. You know, will I be accepted by him? And I think often in our relationship with God, we feel like we need to wear a mask in front of him. Because if he really saw who I was, he'd probably reject me. I think that's where a lot of our people-pleasing, a lot of our hypocrisy comes from. It's just that deep need to be accepted by God. And so we're going to explore this together because I think that there's actually an answer. I think that there's freedom and I think that there is a cure to our hypocrisy. Um, And I think it's found in Jesus. And so we're going to just explore that together. And um, we're going to explore it together by looking at one hypocrite in particular. And his name was Peter. And you might know Peter. You might know the story of Peter, uh, the, the great apostle. Uh, but he has, a, he has this hypocrisy thing that he's struggling with. And uh, we're going to explore it in the book of um, Galatians. So we're going through a sermon series called Galatians, A Life Set Free. We're going to be in chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can open to them. But we also got it on the screen. And so just to set the context a bit, Rod preached last week on Galatians and kind of gave us an intro. Who wrote it? All of that good stuff. It was written by Paul. But what's happening in this time is that Paul is going around um, to different churches and he's preaching the good news of Jesus. And what is the good news? The good news is that um, the Spirit of God is, is landing upon everyone who trusts in him. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew and a law keeper or if you're a Gentile and you've never had a law. Um, the good news is that you can have a relationship with God through Jesus. He's the way now. He's the way. It's not through a law. It's not through legalism. It's through Jesus. And he's preaching this message and people are coming to faith and the, the Holy Spirit is there moving and there's Jews and Gentiles eating together. And now Peter, who is a, a Jew by birth, he's been a law keeper his whole life. Um, he gets this vision, if you remember in Acts, where God basically says, you can, you can eat with Gentiles. Because if you know anything about Jewish law, it's that eating with people who don't have the law was, was the wor- one of the worst things you could do because table fellowship is so intimate. And when you're eating with someone as a Jew, it's basically like you have a covenant with them. It's like you're in a covenant promise relationship with these people. And so it was totally wrong as a Jew to eat with a Gentile, but now God says you can now. And so Peter's going around and he's, he's eating with Gentiles. And so 
Peter um, goes to Paul's turf. This is Antioch, uh, a bit north of Jerusalem, where, where Peter mainly was with Jews. And, and Peter's with Paul, and they're in church eating Jew, Gentile together, and they're just amazed. Jesus' presence is there. They're loving it. And Peter's having the best time. There's fellowship um, until something happens. And so that's where we're going to pick it up. Uh, it's in Galatians 2, verse 11 to 13. So I'll read. When Cephas, that's just another name for Peter, uh, so we'll just say Peter. When Peter came to Antioch, so that's where Paul was. This is Paul speaking. I opposed him to his face. Why? Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, so James was the pastor in Jerusalem with a mainly Jewish context, and it sounds like people from his congregation, I don't think James sent these people. I think they were kind of more of a legalistic wing of James's church, and they kind of went around to different churches kind of spying out this new freedom that these Christians had. And so these people come from James's church in Jerusalem, and, and now, he says, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, Peter, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group, which if you're ever going to have a group, just name it something else. It's like the worst name for a name. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. So moving on, <laughs> the other Jews uh, joined him in his hypocrisy. There's that word. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And so what's happening here? is that Peter is, is with this friend group and he's eating and he's, he's, he's loving it and the spirit of God is there and present. But then this other friend group comes and now his worlds are colliding and which mask is he going to put on, right? And, and he ends up going with the mask um, to please the, the Jews that were in Jerusalem. Why? They have status. They have power. They're, they're one of the biggest churches in, in the land at that point. And so he puts on that mask in front of them and uh, he wants to keep his status, right? He wants to be accepted. I can kind of, it seems like such a small thing. I'll just not really eat as much with the Gentiles. And he slowly, it seems so small. And he slowly creeps away to please these people. And I think as a church, it's, it's really easy to just give in to hypocrisy, right? It's one little step away before we are all wearing masks and we're all being hypocritical. And so he, he moves away. And I think this is a lesson too that it doesn't matter your status. You can give in to hypocrisy. This is Peter. This is the rock. This is the, that's what his name means, Petros. He's the rock. He's the, the solid foundation of the church. And even him, you can almost hear the pain in Paul's voice. Even Barnabas was led astray. That's like his best friend. That's his friend that has gone on so many journeys with him. He's probably poured out his heart to Barnabas. Even Barnabas has gone astray. When one person puts on a mask of hypocrisy, the ripple effect is massive. It can lead so many people astray. And even Peter is giving into this. And so what's happening here? I, I kind of sympathize with Peter. Um, maybe you do too. I don't know if you've ever had it where you're living your, your life of faith and you have freedom and joy. But maybe you have a friend or a, a group of friends that's a little more, you know, legalistic. And, uh, they, you know, on, on the Lord's Day, you go and you have a fun day at the lake with other families and it's amazing. And this maybe more legalistic friends like, well, what did you do on the Lord's day? And it's like, oh, I just read the Bible all day. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> you have this, uh, this nuanced view of some sort of political issue or theological issue. And you're, you're trying to understand the Bible and the word. 
and you try to have this grace with people and you try to understand, but you have this one person in your life that's like, this is the only opinion Christians can have, black and white on this issue. And you're like, I guess so. And you kind of give into that, you know? Like, I think we, and if you don't have a friend like that, it could be you. Just, <laughs> just putting that out there. Uh, but, but yeah, I think we all struggle with, with this. And um, Peter did too. And I think we look at Peter and we go, how could Peter have gone astray like this, right? He's this pillar. God's done such a work in his life. What's going on? But I think when I look at Peter's life, it makes sense. I think, you know, when you, when you put your trust in Jesus, I think that there's some sins, there's some big things that kind of sometimes just get dealt with and are done and gone. Praise God. But I think there's these other things that kind of hang on. And they're this thorn in the side and they just stay with you your whole life and it's always a battle. I think this was one of Peter's battles, people-pleasing hypocrisy. We can see it in Peter's life. Um, You might remember the story in Matthew 14 where Jesus is walking on the water and Peter sees him and he's in a boat and Peter's like, can I come out on the water with you? And Jesus is, Peter is actually walking on water with Jesus and he's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. But then he starts to notice the wind and the waves and he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink, right? You remember that story? I think there's another story too that shows us that It's in Luke 22 when Jesus is being arrested and Peter is watching from afar. He's got his eyes on Jesus. He's being arrested. He's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. But then this little servant girl says, hey, don't you know that guy? And Peter's like, no, 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 I don't know Jesus. No, no. And another guy's like, yeah, I think I saw you with him. And he's like, nope, nope, that wasn't me. And up goes the mask. And he wants to just please these people around him and not suffer the consequences of being who he actually was. Yeah, I'm a follower of that guy, come what may. And so I think we see this problem in Peter's life over and over and over again. And, and now it's just rearing its ugly head once again. Um, Peter is giving in to that sickness, that, that slavery of people-pleasing. And I think where this all comes from is from a mindset of the law. That's the main issue that's going on in this church, in, in this context. And so I want to just share a little story um, from a book called The Cure, that goes like this. So there's a man walking down a road and he comes to a sign and there's a sign in the road and there's a fork and one way says pleasing God and the other way says trusting God. Okay, seems like a trick question, right? What do I choose? He's a little stumped. He's like, is it really one or the other? Um, And he thinks about it and he goes, okay, okay, I guess trusting God would just be me kind of sitting there doing nothing I want to do something for God, so I guess I'll go the pleasing God route. Sounds fair enough. So he goes down the pleasing God route, and as he walks down the road, um, there's a building that he encounters. And on the top of the building, there's a sign that says this, striving hard to be all God wants me to be, right at the top. He goes, okay, fair enough. I like to work hard, so striving, sure, I'll go there. And he gets to the door, and above the door, there's a little plaque, and it says, self-effort. He's like, well, I guess it does take some effort to follow God, so sure, sure, I'll open the door. Um, And he gets in the door, and someone with a mask on says, welcome to the room of good intentions. He goes, oh, okay, and they hand him a mask, and he puts it on, okay. And he sees a banner in the back that says, working on my sin to achieve an intimate relationship with God. Okay, 
And there he is in the room full of masks, in the room full of good intentions, trying his best. How's that going to go? How's that going to go for him? I think that's what Peter is struggling with. Peter is in the room of good intentions. He's trying his best to follow God. But there's this challenge. And we'll get back to this guy at the end. Uh, But there's a challenge with Peter. He's struggling with the idea of the law. The law. What is the law? Well, in his context, the law is the Jewish law. The civic and ceremonial law that these people are saying he needs to follow. This group, this circumcision group, the Judaizers, is saying you've got to follow this exact law. Now, you might struggle with that idea. Do I need to follow the Old Testament Jewish law? That's, that's a possibility. But I think the idea of law is bigger than that. Any structure of thinking that says, I need to do A, B, C in order to work my way up to be in a right relationship with God. That's the law. That's the idea of the law. Any expectation that we feel from God to be this, this, or this, to be good enough to work our way up to God. That, I think, is how we can define the law. For Peter, it was the Jewish law. For us, it might be something else. It might be some sort of expectation you put on yourself or something that another Christian puts on you or something that you feel like you need to do. Um, But when we live in the mindset of the law, I think this is how my mind goes. This is, I think, what follows. As we live in the mindset of the law, if we go down the road of pleasing God, there's the idea of achievement, Right? So I've pleased God, I've done it. And when you do it, then you have pride because I did it. But if you fail, then you have shame. I didn't do it. I didn't please God. And then you compare to other people. Well, are they doing it better than me? And you start to compare. And this is at the heart of just empty religion, just trying to be good enough for everyone. And that's what leads to hypocrisy. Because if we were actually open in the room full of good intentions and said, I'm not doing okay, <laughs> I'm failing. I can't hold a straight, I can't keep it together anymore. Everyone else would say, well, that's too bad for you. I guess you got to leave. We are all, we've got it all together, right? That's where hypocrisy is bred. And then that feels like slavery. And then that feels like death. That's the whole mentality of the law. That's where the law gets you. And so we look at what does Paul say? What's Paul's response to this in the church? And just bear with me, okay? It's a little complex. Paul It's sometimes complex and long-winded, but we will try our best. Are you with me to follow, to try to see Paul's logic here? This is how Paul responds, a resounding silence. I'll take that as a yes. You're with me to, to check out Paul's response. So, this is what Paul says. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, the good news, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Basically, in a nutshell, he's just calling him out in front of everyone. The play is over. The masquerade is over. Let's all stop pretending. This is what's happening. He just boldly calls him out in front of everyone. And then he says this. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, that could just be a way of saying, Paul saying, I'm an insider, okay? I'm not someone who's on the outside, a Gentile who's criticizing the law. I'm an insider. I'm a Jew like you. I've, I've, I've tried to do this and, I can't, and no one can do it. He's an insider. I'm not a Gentile who's never had the law. Me, a Jew, we Jews know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, so what is he saying? To simplify it, three times in that little section, he says we are not justified by works of the law and two times he says we are justified by faith in Jesus. I wonder if he's trying to say we're not justified by works of the law. <laughs> we are justified by faith in Jesus. I wonder. Uh, and what does that mean, justified? Really simply, put in right relationship. In a right relationship with God. In the right with him. The law is no longer the way to do that. The way to be justified, to be in a real right relationship with God is by faith Or in other words, trust, simple trust in Jesus, God's way, God's son. That's the way to be in right relationship with God. There we go. I don't know if that was me or you, Matt, but either way, you might have to help me out here for a bit. Um, Okay, so, can't be justified by works of the law. And then he says this, so keep, keep tracking just for a little bit because I know it's kind of complicated, but Paul says this. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. And where my mind goes is imagine this with me. Imagine that there was a farmer who had a big field and he had a big fence around it that said no trespassing. There's no trespassing signs all over it. And so you don't go in there because that's breaking the law, right? But then the farmer's son comes out and says, no, no, the, the farmer actually changed his mind. Now he wants, he wants everyone to come in. It's a new day. So everyone starts taking down the fence. We trust the son. Uh, no trespassing. You can all go in. You start cultivating the land. This is amazing. We've always wanted to be in here. Um, and then the son goes away and someone else comes and says, actually, the farmer kind of changed his mind again. Uh, you were never allowed to be in here, so you got to come back out and you got to put the fence back up and it's still no trespassing. What Paul is saying is that if Jesus came and said, the law is fulfilled in me, I am now the way, the truth, and the life to the Father. I'm the only way to have a right relationship with God. If he said that, it's no longer through the law. And then that turned out to not be true. What you're saying is that Jesus just came to lead us into sin. Jesus came and he's a liar and he lied and he told us to sin. That's what you're saying. And he's like, that's obviously absurd because you trust in Jesus. You trust what he said. He didn't come to lead you astray. He came to lead you towards grace. So if we start rebuilding the law and trusting in the law, we're just calling Jesus a liar. And we're saying that we're lawbreakers. So I think now we come to the cure. Now we come to where Paul really lays out what's the cure for our hypocrisy? What's the cure for the law? What's the freedom? I think he says it here. This is part of it. So, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Okay, again, another bit, it's a bit of a riddle. Through the law, Through trying to obey the law and find God through that means, I realized it's impossible. It died to me as a way to get to God. I died through the law. I died to the law, to that whole way of thinking, so that I might live for God. 
So this way, the law, that's dead. Okay? That whole way of thinking, that whole way of getting to God through the law, it's totally dead. It's over. It's gone. It's done. So what's next? This is the answer. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the cure for our hypocrisy. Listen, who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me, gave himself for me. Not this version of me, not the God at all together guy. He loved me. That's it. That's just free. He loves me. There's nothing else that matters anymore. It's not me giving myself to the law. It's him giving himself for me. That's like all the acceptance in the world you could possibly want. And it's true. He loves me. He loves you. I don't know if you believe that. Do you trust that? Have you surrendered into that? The son of God, Jesus loves me. He gave himself for me. I don't need to wear a mask anymore. Who I am, he's come and he said, I love you. I affirm you. There's no pretending with me anymore. That is the cure for our hypocrisy, to be actually accepted by God. How does this work? How does this work? Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. So Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus died on a cross. And, and that's a, a massive thing what he was doing there. It's like this diamond that has a million facets to it. It's beautiful. What happened on the cross partly was the double cure, as some ancients called it. He fulfilled the law. He did the thing that I can't do. He lived the life I can't. But he also took the punishment for lawbreaking. If you're a lawbreaker, if you can't do it, there's a punishment. He took the punishment. He took the death that I deserve on the cross. That's the ultimate display of God's love for me is the cross. The other thing that was happening on the cross was think of Jesus. Think of him just nailed there, literally naked in front of the most prestigious leaders around. Do you think he had a mask on? (laughs) He was completely exposed and shameful, right? Do you think he was trying to please man at that moment? No, he was completely and utterly surrendered to his father's will. And that's what it looked like. It looked like him just exposed. I've got nothing to prove. I'm surrendering to my father. I don't care about your opinion of me. He surrendered to his father's will. And that was the redemption of the world. And Paul, he looks at the cross and he goes, I I so resonate with that. I so surrender to that, that he has this deep union with Jesus. It's like, I'm there with him. I've been crucified with Christ. It's like he's there beside him. And he's like, he's also just exposed, no mask. He's just in front of these people. And he's like, I don't care what anyone thinks of me. Jesus loves me. What else matters? Your opinion of me doesn't matter. Jesus loves me. That's all that matters. And it's like he's there beside him, crucified with him, saying, I'm not going to try to fulfill the law anymore. I'm not going to care what anyone thinks of me. God loves me and that's enough. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Paul, this person who's animated by trying to fulfill the law and trying to please people, that guy's dead. That guy's gone. But Christ lives in me. The Messiah, his love just fills me and animates me. Just like that life used to animate me, Jesus' love now fills me and animates me. And the life I now live in the body, 
Don't take me wrong. This is an analogy. I'm not actually dead. I'm still here on this earth. I'm still alive. The life I now live in the body, I live by trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That, I think, is the cure. I think that is the answer. And I wonder if you've surrendered to that and if you know that for yourself. I think when we accept that, the law is gone. We're under grace. We're not under law. We're not under that anymore. We're under grace. And grace isn't about pleasing. It's about trusting. It's not about achievement. It's about acceptance. It's not about pride. It's humility. It's not failure. There's forgiveness. It's not shame. There's joy. It's not comparison. There's contentment. It's not religion. It's relationship. Not hypocrisy, it's authenticity. Not slavery, freedom. Not death, life. That's what it means to be under grace. That's what it means. And so we go back to our guy here, okay? Let's go back to that story. So he's in the room full of hypocrites, and he's tired of it, and he throws his mask off, and he runs out, and he just gets out of that building and he's walking down the road and he sees a bunch of people on the side of the road who have also left that place. They've gone to church, so to speak. It's full of hypocrites and they just left. And that's sometimes as far as people get, you know? Just bitter, resentful. Ah, that's how God's people are. I don't want anything to do with them or him. And they just become disenchanted and disillusioned with the church and they just stay on the sidelines. But not this guy. This guy's like, I don't want to end there. I want to keep going. And so he goes back to the fork in the road and he's like, I guess the only other way is trusting God. Okay. So what does that look like? I guess I'll go that way. And so he goes down the road of trusting God and he gets to another building. But on this building, it doesn't say striving hard to be all God wants me to be. It says living out who God says I am. And above the door, it doesn't say Self-effort. It says humility. So he opens the door and he walks in. And someone with just a genuine smile greets him with no mask and says, Welcome to the room of grace. And there's a banner on the back. But instead of saying, Working hard on my sin to achieve an intimate relationship with God. It says, Standing with God. My sin in front of us both. Working on it together. It's just a totally different room, a room filled with grace, a room filled with people who have taken their masks down. And I, I love that picture, that last line, standing with God, my sin in front of us, working on it together. Because maybe you're in a place where you're trying to obey the law and you don't even realize it. You know, you, you sin and you fail and you think, ah, oh, I failed again I got to go back to God and now that I've sinned, there's this big distance between us and he's way over there. I've got to go earn my way back to him through repentance and maybe he'll come back. Okay, then I'll try a little harder again and then I'll fail again and he's way over there again and I got to go earn my way back to him and it's just this vicious cycle of slavery and death. But in this, it's, it's this different picture. And the picture that I, I love that came to mind was in our Alpha uh, program. There was a video playing um, of, a, of a young guy who was talking about his relationship with his parents. And he said that he got really good at um, stealing without them knowing. And so he'd go and he'd steal and he was sneaky. And, and one day he stole actually from his parents' bank account. And he took a bunch of money out of there. I guess he didn't think they'd notice, but they noticed. And one day he got home and they're sitting at the table. And um, 
They say, son, we have to talk. Yeah, that's scary. <laughs> and he immediately knew. And so he, he didn't sit down. He ran. He ran to his room. And dang it. Okay, I'll make it through this story. Uh, and he, uh, <laughs> he ran to his room. And uh, he slams the door. And he takes like his bed and his uh, chairs. And he just shoves it all against the door. And he tries to block the, his parents out. And he says he sits on the other side of his big pile of stuff. And he just feels like such a bad person. And he just hears a knock on the door and his dad is on the other side. Sorry, I didn't think I'd get emotional actually. His dad is on the other side and he says, I just, I just love you and we're just confused because we don't know what we did and we want to help you. And, uh, And we just would love to come in and give you a big hug. I think that's the picture um, of God to us. You know, he's not out there. Um, he's not out there with our sin in the way, right? When we trust in him, he's on the inside with us. And when we fail... He's still there with us, inside the room with us, giving us a big hug, saying, hey, we'll deal with that pile, don't worry. But I'm with you, and I love you, and nothing can change that. I think that's the picture of God's love with us when we actually enter into the room of grace with him. It's not about achieving. It's not about getting rid of our filth. It's about God loving us in the middle of it. And so, I think of us, I think of Sardis Fellowship, and I would love to keep being a room of grace, right? I think we are. I think we are. And I think that we understand grace. I think that we don't have masks here. At least we try not to. But here's the challenge of this passage. I think that it's so easy to fall into hypocrisy. It's one step away. It's one step away. Peter, he's doing great. And then it's one step away to fall into hypocrisy. And I think that in order to not fall into hypocrisy, we have to remember grace. We have to remember the cross. And we have to keep, keep the cross close. And so I say to us, I say to myself, let's not turn to law, right? Let's keep grace the focus. Um, yeah, I'd like to invite up the worship team at this time. We're going to close in a song. But I want to say, um, we don't actually get to hear in this story Peter's um, conclusion, right? That's where the story ends. There's no more about Peter. It doesn't say how he reacted. It doesn't say anything about that. And we just never hear about it again. But I think we can guess. I like to think that he did understand and he repented. Why? Because what was happening in the story when, Jesus was, when Peter was walking on the water? What happened when he started to sink? Peter was really good at making mistakes, but he was really good at repenting. He, he started sinking and he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabs him and pulls him up. And, and in the story where he betrays Jesus and he denies him, later Jesus makes him breakfast on the beach and Peter just accepts Jesus' love. Okay. He gets reinstituted. Okay. Let's do this. And I, I bet that Peter in this story was cut to the heart and said, oh, again? Okay. I know Jesus loves me. I'm sorry. Let's move forward. That's what I hope 
and trust Peter did. And I think the same is true for you. So if you're feeling like, man, I've been a Christian a long time and yeah, I'm slipping into law and I'm slipping into hypocrisy, just call out to God. Lord, save me. It's that simple. And if you've maybe never trusted in Jesus and this is resonating with you, you, you can. You actually can trust in Jesus. You can come and you can say, Lord, save me. And he'll save you. And so what I want to do is just lead us in a prayer before we sing. It's a prayer that if you've never trusted in Jesus, you can. Just pray along with me in your heart and in your mind. And if you, if you have been a Christian however long, pray with me too. Because we all need to return to grace. We all need to return to the cross. So let's, let's just pray together. Join me in your hearts and your minds. Jesus, we come to you. I come to you. I admit I've been a hypocrite. I admit I've tried to earn my way to you. I admit I've tried to achieve a relationship with you. But today I come and I simply say, I've sinned. And today I trust you, Jesus, what you have done. Help me to trust in the cross where you died that I might find your love there. Right here, right now, I surrender to you, Jesus. Would you take my life, forgive me of my sins, have mercy on me, and restore me by your grace. I trust you for my life. Would you journey with me for the rest of it? I commit myself to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.